John chapter 17, verses 11b through 19. Jesus said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel proclamation today is from the Holy Gospel of St. John that I just read for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the seventh Sunday after Easter, a simple sermon and a simple prayer. As we have found ourselves in troubling times for the Christian church, I have devised four essentials that we can center on as the people of God, which cannot fail and never has. Number one, prayer. Number two, word and sacrament worship. Number three, devotion and the study of God's word. And number four, sharing the gospel with the unchurched. Today we focus with our Lord on prayer. Now, I love prayer in any shape or form. And while many pastors are very specific as to what is appropriate prayer, I believe that anytime we talk to God for any reason, it's still prayer. There are just times when we need to talk to God in real terms as we really are. Sometimes that can be out of the ordinary from our church prayers and prayers before meals and Bible study, but it's still conversing with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes because of stress, other times sadness or joy, or even just in our day-to-day -day conversations. Like Henry Fingerlin, the pastor who confirmed me, shared that one time he prayed hard on his way to the church. He was running late for an important premarital counseling meeting at the church. With the lights and traffic, it was typically a 10 to 15 minute drive, and he only had five. So he prayed that the Lord would find a way to get him there quickly. He hit the first of seven lights and thought, hmm, that's good. Then the miraculous happened. He timed those lights perfectly and hit every one of them. Before he knew it, he rolled into his parking spot with minutes to spare. And as he stopped his car, he exclaimed to himself, Boy, that was lucky. 
<laughs> then he realized what he said and gave thanks to God instead. We all have those emergency prayers when we are not prepared or running late. But what about the prayers we need when we're being assaulted or terrorized by our peers? A traveling missionary came to my high school to talk about his time in Vietnam as a Christian. He talked about how he went to Vietnam as a committed Christian and noticed almost immediately his brothers in arms wanted nothing to do with Jesus, let alone any of the virtues of Christianity. And they made sure he knew it too. As soon as they realized he wouldn't go into town to drink and philander alongside them, they despised his integrity. At night in the bunk room, they would hurl insults at him. They would short his sheets and hide his gear. They would throw his letters away from home, spit on him, and even randomly hit him. He told us concerning all that, I prayed for them, and as I lay in my bunk all night praying, they continued their abuse. But I continued praying nonetheless, crying out to God over and over again, saying, Please, God, kill them! I think we've all been there in those brutal times, and we can say likewise, God, remove from me my enemies. Then there are the prayers for the ones we love the most at their most vulnerable moments in life, like Matthew, Calvin, Betty Ann, Sally, and so many more. That all we had left in their most devastating times of their lives was the one we have always had, the most powerful being in the universe in control of everything, listening to our every request. So today, we come upon a prayer in our gospel lesson that is mysterious in its happening, curious in its effect, and mind-boggling in its purpose. So why is the mysterious prayer happening in our lesson? Well, Jesus has just finished preaching a Trinitarian sermon that started all the way back in chapter 14 of John's gospel. He references redemption found in him alone and then tells them about the Holy Spirit who will come to make them holy and teach them to remember all that he taught them. And as you saw last week, his sermon concluded with the Heavenly Father who cares for them and all things in creation. But this is not a sermon like you are used to. He does not take to a podium or pulpit and wait for the spotlight to shine on him so everyone knows it's time to listen. Rather, he reclines with them. He allows the disciples to interrupt him and patiently and lovingly clarifies their questions for them. Then he does something even more interesting. He lets them listen to his conversation with his heavenly Father. In our world, I don't think this is how it's done. At least, not in my experience. When a son wants to ask for something of his father, at least honestly, without manipulation, generally they don't want an audience. Most of the time they will find their father alone in his study or out in the garage or sitting on the porch or watching TV and wait for the right moment to talk alone without interruption or interference from mom 
or brothers or sisters or dad's friends or family that may frequently be around. What I'm saying is, most sons, again in my experience, don't want an audience when they want to ask for something they personally want or need. This allows the son to make his case and appeal to his father's generous nature and hopefully get him to agree that the request has merit or value in the father's eyes as well so they can receive the counsel, aid, or support that they're in treaty hope for. It's a sort of prayer, if you will, to their loving father. But again, that is almost always without a group of friends standing by or listening to every word. Now, it's possible that the disciples all just started to attend to cleaning up after dinner and were not listening. But I don't think so. Because the last thing they said in response to what he was preaching was, Aha! Now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet, I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So I don't think for a second they got up and moved at all. In fact, I think they were staring at him, hanging on every word. And that is when he started praying to his father before them. John chapter 11 hints that he wanted them to hear every word in this prayer. In another prayer, that he prayed right before he raised Lazarus from the dead, saying, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. They heard his prayer because he wanted them to hear his prayer. That Jesus alone kept them in the faith and protected them from the evil one. That Jesus alone gave them his very words that Jesus' own words are the truth. And through Jesus, God the Father desires to call people to eternal salvation, which is number four on the essentials I listed at the beginning of the sermon for these troubling latter days. So when the troubling latter days came down on their head, immediately after Jesus prays, they know who the triune God is, that the Holy Spirit will be with them to teach them, and they know that God indeed sent his Son to accomplish his task necessary to save the world. But his betrayal by Judas, the one who was lost, would lead to his crucifixion on the cross and the despair of all who lost their hope at his fall. And while they didn't know what God knew, God would reveal it to them. By his resurrection from the dead, 
through the Holy Spirit opening their minds and hearts and sending them forth to tell the world what God did to save everyone who believes from sin. Just like the disciples and apostles did, we have some troubling times ahead. Oh, it may get better for a while, but God has prophesied that it will not last forever until eternity is ushered in by his Son. And the temptation may be to despair, give up, or give nothing at all. After all, having something in this world is better than having nothing. Well, Janis Joplin once said, freedom is just another word for having nothing left to lose. Click and Clack the Tapper Brothers once said, he who owns little is little owned. And I think those statements on the surface are correct, temporarily speaking. And I pray that in their end, they all had what the disciples had, which is exactly what we have today. Jesus keeping us in the faith and his protection from the evil one, Jesus' words and the truth. A simple sermon and a simple prayer, meaning salvation, for everyone. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.